The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. I hope you are doing well. Um, And I mean that. There is there is one thing that's alive and well in the family, the Stone Oak Bible Church family, and that is the flu. So I am glad you are here and, and not sick. Very, I am excited for this morning. Um, I am looking forward to this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you, if you haven't already, grab them, open with me to Romans 1. We're going to be working through verses starting in 8, uh, working up through 14. Um, and listen, over the past couple of months while you're getting there, I have heard several stories um, of people who have taken one of our Bibles, uh, either for themselves or for someone they know, someone they love, um, and I have heard several stories of God using His Word. Now, as a, there's a certain joy that I feel as a pastor when I look and I see one of these, one of our blue or black Bibles, well-marked up, well-worn, and well-loved. That is awesome. That is awesome. And God has given me the joy of seeing that um, as of late. And it's a joy that we've been able to give away cases. And uh, there is no more worthy way to spend resources than putting the Word of God in as many hands as we possibly can. I'm grateful. So having said that, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, um, we'd love to let you borrow one of ours. There should be one right around you. And if you're here and you do not own a Bible, uh, we would love to give you one. Uh, we would love to give you one. We would want nothing more. Just take it, grab it. It's our gift to you uh, this morning. Like I said, I am so excited for this morning. I believe the Lord has something for us. And so having said that, I would love just as a, as a congregation, can we go to the Lord in prayer that he would prepare us for the word? Would you pray with me? I thank you for your church, God. This morning, we're going to be looking at your word. We're going to be able to see the importance, the beauty of of your church. And this morning, we are grateful. Grateful that for the past half hour, um, we've had the opportunity to sing the gospel over each other. Pray together, fellowship with each other, have communion together. We're grateful to have a family in which we can belong. We are grateful. We're also grateful for your word. God, would you help us today as we come to your word? Would you help me? Would you help me faithfully preach it? That we together would trust that it is enough. That I would never forget that we are not gathered here today to hear from any man, to hear my thoughts or principles. But we are gathered here this morning as your people to hear from you, to hear your thoughts, to see you. So Lord, would you help me to be a faithful conduit? Uh, this morning. More than that, I just pray for all of us that you would open our eyes and ears and soften our hearts. Would you change us for your glory, for our good, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, church, let's get to work. Um, I love this portion of Scripture because Romans is thick. It is this weighty, meaty, theologically rich um, book. It is serious, right? That's Romans. Um, I love that this portion of Romans, though, is not like that. 
It's, it's not like that. It's before we drop into that, here in our text, we get this deeply personal, heartfelt message from Paul. We get this pastoral heart that we would do well to remember throughout the rest of this letter, by the way, but we get this personal and pastoral heart that Paul gives us before we drop in. Um, And this morning, we're going to look at three things. We're going to talk together about three things. Uh, We're going to talk about true gospel community, true gospel mission, and true gospel preaching. That's where we're headed, and and so I just want to take these kind of in order, because that's the order I see them here. Um, And we'll start with community, true gospel community. We look here, we'll start in verse 8. It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. This is Paul talking about the church in Rome, because your faith, Roman church, is proclaimed in all the world. This is kind of a cool thought, by the way. Um, Paul Knowing this church, loving this church, is traveling the globe, planting churches about the mission, just going for it. And before social media, before texting, the witness of this church reaches Paul. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. It's kind of one of those proud moments, I'm sure, that Paul's like, ha, I know those guys. I love those guys. I wish I could be there. Paul says, their faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, he says, whom I serve with my spirit, the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He says, Paul says, as God is my witness, I never stop praying for you and praying that I can get back to you. A couple things here real quickly off the bat. The phrase is God is my witness. This is not some empty oath kind of language here. Um, When Paul says as God is my witness, he meant it. Uh, he meant it. He is saying, listen, I have been interceding for you. I have been before God on your behalf. God has witnessed my intercession for you because he's been there. In, In other words, God has witnessed me coming to him without ceasing, pleading for you and that I could get back to you. I have not stopped praying. Now, that gets us to the second thing here. This whole prayer without ceasing thing. This is kind of one of those Christian catchphrases. Um, honestly, it can bring out some confusion, though, and I, and I want us to look at this just for, just for a moment. Um, we can get into some cu- confusion about this and get into t- some trouble when we try to literalize um, everything. And, and this phrase literally means, it, it, it means ongoing, continually. This is a word, this is a phrase, I'll put it like this, that increases the degree. Increases the degree. Here, let me give you an example. I am not a licensed counselor. But from what I have seen and heard, what I have been able to witness, um, couples can struggle with this kind of language when there's a disagreement or when they're cranky. That's the technical term. Um, we can say things like this. You ready? You always leave the top off the toothpaste. 
and you completely ruin the toothpaste. Now, does this mean, does this half of the couple, we'll say it's the, the lady, says this about the husband. Um, does this mean that that husband never in his history, never of ever, of ever, have ever put a lid on any single toothpaste? Maybe, but probably not. Uh, probably not. Also, does this mean that that toothpaste is completely ruined? Again, probably not. You might have to get that crusty, annoying layer off the top, but I'm guessing that beyond that, beneath that, is some good stuff still, some workable toothpaste. What this language means, what this language does, is it, it means that there is an ongoing pattern, a continual thing that is going on that, let's be honest, might feel like a never thing. It might feel like that thing's completely ruined. But the word never is used as a way to increase the degree. The same thing is true with the word completely, completely ruined. Increases the degree. That couple, follow me here, they could have said, you know, often you don't put the lid on our toothpaste and it ruins that top layer of toothpaste. They could have said that. That would have been way more literal, way more factual. And honestly, the argument might not last as long if they did that. might be something to consider, couples. (laughs) However, it doesn't quite communicate the degree as well, does it? It doesn't quite communicate. Well, Paul's statement here is a lot like that. It does not mean that Paul does nothing but sit cross-legged, praying for this church and that he could get back to this church. It cannot mean that. That it cannot mean. It cannot mean that because we see Paul had way too much work that he was doing for that. Um, We're going to get back to that in a little bit. Um, But that is not what this is saying. What this is saying, though, is that this prayer that Paul had, this longing, this prayer that Paul had was not fleeting. It was not light, it was not fleeting, it was deep, it was lasting, it was ongoing, it was continual. God, uh, Paul continually brought before God this prayer. For those of you, for any of you who keep any kind of prayer journal, you might know what this is like. You might understand this. I recently went back through a prayer journal that I had in 2019 and it was amazing because as I look through it, I realized, well, I've been praying that prayer all year long. I didn't realize I've been praying that prayer all year long, but I have. I have been pleading before God in the same way all year long. For Paul, this was it. It was Paul's longing to be back with this church. Paul's longing to be back. Paul says, without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Again, we're able to see Paul's pastoral heart here. I said I wanted to talk about community, so let's get to that. True gospel community. Listen to verse 11. 
For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Then, in verse 12, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, pause. I don't know about you, but verse 11 is much easier for me to grasp than verse 12. Much easier. See, in verse 11, Paul says, I want to be there with you because you need me. That makes sense. This is the Apostle Paul. This is Super Apostle. Of course, that church needs Paul. Get it. I'm there. If Paul were roaming around today, he were planting churches, I would, inv- I would be inviting him here. That makes sense to me. Verse 11 makes sense to me. That's the easy part. I want to be there with you because you need me. But then in verse 12, what does he do? It is, I want to be there with you because I need you. Because we need each other. Look at this. That we may be, Paul says, mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. This is incredibly important to understand. True gospel community is not a one-way street. The way I'll say it like this, true gospel community is a mutual exchange. True gospel community is a mutual exchange. That was true back then for Paul and this ancient Roman church, but just as much so it is true for us today because... Here's the temptation that I want to poke on a little bit. There is this temptation that we can often fall into to view the church, to view the pastor, to view the elders, to view the leaders, to view the church community as a whole, as a one-way street. Honestly, we as pastors and as the church, we can contribute to this dreadful temptation, but this one-way street thinking, this one-way street thinking can look like these kind of questions. What benefit do they bring to me? What benefit am I getting from being there? Is there another community that would benefit me more? Now, often, we don't use these kind of harsh words to do this. We use softer language like, how am I getting fed? Or, is there something for me and my family to get fed? It's the same idea. And hear me, before you get angry with me, I do not want to downplay those kinds of questions. That's not what I'm doing. It is a serious endeavor to seek what community you are going to belong to what church community you are going to belong to. Serious, serious endeavor. These are important questions. My argument is they are half of the questions. That these only represent half of what you should be asking. Not only what benefit do I get, but of what benefit can I be? Not only what am I getting out of being there, but what am I giving by being there? What am I contributing? What am I putting in? Not only is the question, am I being fed, 
The question is, am I helping feed others? Not only is the question, am I being cared for? The question is, am I caring well for others? True gospel community is not a one-way street. It is not a consumer endeavor. It is not a spectator sport. It never has been. It never will be. True gospel community is two-way. It is giving and getting. It is knowing and being known. It's pouring ourselves out. Not spectating, but contributing and participating. It's a mutual exchange. With this understanding, when you think about your church family, whether it be in your community group or your Sunday service, our Sunday service, when you are thinking, for example, let's just bring this real practical, whether or not you should go. It's not, well, I could just listen to the sermon online. I don't really need to go today. That's one-way thinking. It's one-way thought thinking. Instead, it's, I'll miss being there, but, man, they're going to miss me. There's going to be a gap left. There's going to be a gap left in the body. It's a mutual exchange. It's two-way thinking. Not one-way thinking. Two-way thinking. And honestly, the only way this is possible, only way this is possible, is if we are, if you are known and you truly know others, if we're in community, if you take the time to know people, to get to know people, to truly know people, to walk with them, to care for them, to love them, to know them, and at the same time, if you allow others to know you, to care for you, to walk with you, to truly know you. Now, I know that what I'm talking about seems very un-American. You're not supposed to need others. I get that. Um, but the gospel way is far better than the American way, so I, I don't, I'm not apologizing. There is a mutual exchange. There has to be. It's two-way. It's a two-way street. What does your church community, what does your gospel community look like? I want to encourage you to take the next step. Um, several months ago, we showed you what we call the discipleship pathway. Um, the discipleship pathway. And, and really the whole idea behind this is really simple. We have this, this um, hourglass. And the idea is that discipleship is going to move us from the big to the small. And that leadership is going to move us then from the small to the big. And that it's our heart to get people, to, to get all of us to take the step, to move from the big to the small. And why is that? I promise you it's not just because as elders we sit around and we go, how can we put something else on their plate? How can we get something else lodged into their busy schedules how can we inconvenience them anymore? No, it is because we believe wholeheartedly that true gospel community is a two-way mutual exchange. I would love, love to know that you are being fed here. I would love to know that you enjoy 
coming to our services. I would love to know that you are edified and strengthened. I would love that. I would be so encouraged. But I would be far more encouraged to see a church not coming to just be fed by me, but a church coming to share, to mutually encourage and build each other up in the gospel. That's the community that I want to be a part of. That's the community I want to be a part of. To move from the big into the next step for us is community groups. If you're not in a group, I just, unashamedly, I want to encourage you, get in one. Get in. We have some incredible groups. Um, It's truly the next step. And so you can come to me. You can come to any of our elders, leaders. You can come to any of our group leaders. You can just, at the end of the service, say, community group. Just put your hand up and yell. One of us will help you get in, uh, connected. But it's to know and to be known. It's a mutual exchange. True gospel community is a mutual exchange. Now, I could talk about this forever. I need to move on. It's not just community that we see here in this text. The second thing we see here has to do with gospel mission. I think we've seen something already. Verse 10. Uh, verse 10, asking that somehow by God's will, I might at last succeed in coming to you. Verse 11, Paul says, I long to see you. Listen to Paul here again, verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as the rest of the Gentiles. Okay. Just as a fun little thing we're going to do here, I'm going to make four observations. They're very obvious, okay? Observation number one, Paul really wanted to come back to this church. That one's pretty obvious. Paul really wanted to come back to this church in Rome. Observation number two, Paul made attempts. He had plans and he had intentions to get back to this church in Rome. Again, pretty obvious. Observation number three, Even though Paul really wanted to, even though he intended to, Paul had not come back yet. Observation number three. And why? Well, observation number four. Paul seems to have sacrificed his plans and desires for the mission of the gospel that he was given. Paul says, look, I didn't come back to you yet like I wanted, like I had planned, like I had intended. Paul says, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. In other words, in order that I might be about the work of the gospel that God has called me to be about. Here's what we're going to see. True gospel mission is self-sacrificing. True gospel mission is self-sacrificing. Another way to say this, true gospel mission will often bump up against us, our own dreams, our missions, our own ambitions, our comfort. Often, the gospel will just bump into us, and in those moments, we have the temptation to either 
man, we can try to modify that gospel message to where it bumps into us less, or we can just ignore the gospel mission so it just stops bumping into us at all, but something has got to give. Something needs to give. Something will be sacrificed. Either, and hear me here, either we are going to sacrifice gospel mission on the altar of ourselves, or it will be the other way around. We will sacrifice ourselves on the altar of the mission that God has given us. As we look at this pastoral and personal and heartfelt portion of text from Paul, we get this very clear picture. Paul had chosen what that sacrifice was going to be. For Paul to live as Christ and to die as gain. For Paul, I am not my own, but I have been bought with a price. For Paul, the sacrifice was not going to be the mission that Christ had given him. The sacrifice was going to be himself, his own desires. I'm just going to lay those out. Later in Romans, by the way, um, Romans 12, Paul's going to urge this church to do the same thing. He's going to say, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here in this section of, Christ, of, of Scripture, we see Paul presenting himself as a living, breathing, moving sacrifice. True gospel mission involves sacrifice. Are we, are you willing to sacrifice your comfort, your dreams, your wishes, your plans? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for the gospel mission, for the calling that God has placed on you? Do you know what your calling is? These questions are big and they're important because The fact is, you have been placed here, right here, and your family, and your community, and your city, in your career, in your church, you have been placed here for a purpose. Are you willing to give yourself for that purpose? The call to come to Christ is to understand that we're saved by grace through faith, but I always hesitate to use the word free. Now, on the one hand, yes, it is. The gift of God is free through Jesus Christ, period, yes, and amen. But that gift was costly. It cost Christ his life. And now the costly gift of God is offered to you freely because of the grace of God. That's the gospel. That we were dead in our sin, lost children of wrath. You did nothing to earn salvation. You did nothing to contribute to it. The costly gift of God is offered to you freely because of the grace of God, and you simply respond to it in faith. And when you do, Scripture says you are His, forever sealed, forgiven, adopted, chosen, redeemed, justified, regenerated, converted. That's you chosen. That is you through, through Christ. This is the gospel. It is a costly gift given to you freely. 
And it's in this context that, that Jesus teaches in Matthew. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, finding one pearl of great value, went and sold everything he had to get it. Paul understands that this gift freely given is worth more value than anything else. Free does not mean cheap. So Paul sacrifices his plans, his desires, in order that he may live that out. Why? Because it is worth it. The gospel mission, the, the mission that Christ has called him to is worth it. The fact is that God might be calling you out, calling us out, out of our comfort zones, out of our plans, out of our agendas. I love plans. Love agendas. Praise God, he interferes sometimes. And when he does, it is worth it. It is worth all of it. True gospel community is a mutual exchange, and true gospel mission is self-sacrificing. Lastly, let's talk about what we see here in regard to true gospel preaching. Paul says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. How is that for all-inclusive? The single greatest need, I want you to hear me, the single greatest need that any person has is Christ. The single greatest need that anyone has is Christ. This means that the greatest need for those who are rich, Christ. The greatest need for the poor, Christ. The greatest need for the middle class, Christ. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Christ. Young, old, Christ. Married, single, kids, no kids, Christ. Christ and Christ. Greeks, barbarians, Christ, wise, foolish, Christ. You, me, this church in Rome, our church today, Stone Oak Bible Church, Christ, the single greatest need that anyone has is Christ. Now, I am not saying that this is the only need. There are those with great physical needs, food, shelter, Water, clean water, protection, all of these are real. All of these are important. Don't you dare tell me otherwise because Scripture is so clear about God's heart for those needs. Also, Scripture is so clear about yours and I's role in meeting those needs. I am not downplaying those needs. But as real and as important as those physical things are, I will still stand and say that the single greatest need that anyone has is Christ. Our need for Christ is real. Our need for Christ is urgent. Our need for Christ is important. The single greatest need we have is Christ. And I love how this text just reminds us of that. True gospel preaching. Here's what I want us to see. True gospel preaching is for everyone. This sounds very Duh, pastor. Follow me, though. True gospel preaching is for everyone. 
Last week, we talked about God's heart for all nations, all people. Why does he have that? Because the single greatest need that anyone has ever had is Christ. It's not just about ethnicity and nationality, though. The need that we have for Christ transcends all groups from age and stage, ethnicity and culture, levels of socioeconomics. The single greatest need that anyone has is Christ. And since that is true, gospel preaching is for everyone. You will never outgrow this need. The gospel is milk for the new believer while meat for the mature. The gospel is fuel for the missionary, while comfort for the persecuted. The gospel is for everyone. Therefore, gospel preaching is for everyone. And here's what this means. One, obvious one, it means that gospel preaching will forever be our focus here at Stone Oak Bible Church. I feel like this is one of those for me and my house moments. Like, for me and my house as a pastor, we will focus on preaching the gospel. Like, that one's easy. That one's easy. But um, it's not just that, because it's personal. It's personal as well. It has to be. Gospel preaching should be central to your life. Not just hearing it, but proclaiming it. Should be central. It should be foundational. You might say, well, Pastor, I'm not a preacher. You're up there, and I'm down here, and, and I'm not preaching. To you, I would say, I get that. But I will also say that that's nonsense. Like, complete and utter foolishness and nonsense. As a Christian, you're a gospel mess- messenger. You might not preach up here, but you preach. And let me give you a reality check here. People will remember your sermons far more then they will remember mine. People will remember your proclamation of the gospel out there far more than they will remember mine. You are a gospel messenger. You are a gospel preacher. Are you preaching? Since the single greatest need that anyone has is Christ preach preach true gospel community is a mutual exchange true gospel mission is self-sacrificing and true gospel preaching is for everyone speaking of for everyone I believe that this message as we close is for every single one of us if you are a believer in Jesus you are called into true gospel community this is your calling And true gospel community will be a mutual exchange. That's your calling. If you are a Christian, you are called to be on true gospel mission, which is self-sacrificing. And you are called to sit under true gospel preaching, and you are called to preach the true gospel. This message is for you, every one of these three points. And if you're here and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe you are a seeker this morning. I believe this message is for you. You are invited into true gospel community through Jesus Christ. You are invited 
to share in a purpose that's bigger than you. True gospel mission through Jesus. You are invited to respond to the gospel. And I pray, I pray that we respond this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, Lord, I was reminded all week, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Not only that he accomplished it all on the cross and in his resurrection, not only that, but Lord, I have been reminded all week that Jesus did not call us to a place that he did not first go. That as Jesus calls us to lay down ourselves, he says, follow me, because that's what I did. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, it's because he took up his cross. Lord, I'm reminded that we follow after our Lord and our Savior who has walked this path and invited us into true joy of following. I thank you for that. God, I pray for each and every one of us here this morning. I pray for those who have responded and who know you. I pray that that you would do a work in us. That if we are pushing back from the table of community, that you would draw us in. That if we are pushing back from true gospel mission, that you would call us in. And that if we are pushing back from our call to preach, that you would draw us in. And God, I pray for all of those who are here and who have not yet responded to the gospel. I pray that in this moment that you would open hearts and eyes so that we can see. That it would be sweet beyond description. That we would not be able to shake it. But Spirit, that you would do a work in us. That we would see the beauty of Jesus and understand that we are invited in. So God, we give you the glory for what you are doing and what you have done this morning. And I ask, Lord, would you continue that work? Especially over these next couple of moments as we respond, Lord, would you continue in that work? We give you glory in Jesus' name, amen.